The following audio is from Fathom Church in downtown Littleton, Colorado. More information about Fathom can be found at fathomchurch.org. Good morning, church. Welcome to Fathom Church. My name is Chris. Uh, I'm the lead pastor here. If I don't know you, if you're a guest with us, just so glad that you would spend some time with us this Easter. I want to say hi to our friends and family online. Hey, they can actually hear you. So would you just welcome the people who are online as well? Yeah. We love y'all. We're glad that you're joining us as well. Um, All right. Let's get to work. If you have your Bible, and I hope you do, would you open it up to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28? Uh, If you did not bring a Bible with you, that's okay. We have a hardback black Bible under every single chair, and you can grab that. Uh, Matthew chapter 28 is on page 835 in those Bibles. You also could open a phone or a tablet, though I'm not sure it's as good for your health as paper, but, um, but feel free to open those up. Matthew 28, you can Google search that. If you're online with us, click that little Bible tab. And also, if you're online with us, let us know that you're here uh, in that chat. We'd love to just make sure that we say hi to you this morning. Uh, hey, it's Easter, just in case you didn't know. Uh, it's Easter today. So I know that we have a bunch of people here who are newer and don't know me as well. So let me just kind of do a little brief introduction. Okay. I, uh, I'm Chris. I'm the lead pastor. I am married to my wife, Marcy, uh, and we have one daughter. Her name is Harper. Uh, and Marcy and I met in, oh, there she is. She never sits over here. Hey, <laughs> what's up? All right. Uh, it's good to see her. <laughs> See you tomorrow, babe. Yeah. <laughs> Marcy and I met in college. All right, we went to Colorado Christian University. <laughs> Home of the Cougars. All right, uh, go Cougs. Or uh, how it's known around my house, the, the Harvard of the West. All right. Uh, but we met in college, and this summer we're celebrating our 15th wedding anniversary. So, uh, yeah, that's thank you. 15 years. All right. Some of, some of you, you're just hoping for 15. Some of you are just like, you're newlyweds still. Right. So, uh, I get it. I know where I'm at. I know where I stand. Uh, but let me tell you, our marriage did not start off the way that we expected it to, um, for, for our honeymoon, right on the, the eve of our wedding, we went to Mexico. All right. Or how it's known around my house, the affordable Hawaii. Okay. Uh, And so we go to Mexico, and on our second day there, we sign up to take a Jeep tour of the island that we were on, on Cozumel. So we decided to take this Jeep tour. They pull up in front of our hotel with uh, like nine, eight or nine Jeep Wranglers with no tops on them. Uh, And we get into our Jeep, and we start driving around the island. Well, what they failed to mention in the advertisement for the Jeep tour was that they weren't providing water for us, and we didn't bring any. And if you've been to Mexico, it ain't the place you want to just bring a Nalgene and fill that thing up, right? Um, so we're in this Jeep with no top on in 100 degree heat and 90% humidity with no water for like eight hours. Um, and y'all, just real quick, take a look at me, all right? I am white, right? Like, like Larry Bird white, all right? Um, like I'm two shades away from clear, all right? And so, so, so the son and I, we have an agreement, 
All right, we have an agreement. Well, I came back more sunburned and dehydrated than I think I've ever been in my life from the Jeep tour on my honeymoon. So it's day two, actually it's night two now of our honeymoon. Uh, It's about midnight. I get up to use the bathroom and uh, it must've been the combination of the sunburn and the dehydration, but I'm standing in the bathroom at midnight, second day of marriage, and I pass out. I mean, I just keel over, I slam my head on the the bathroom vanity, and I am out cold. Marcy hears the crash, and she comes running into the bathroom. Two days into marriage, all right? (laughs) Second night, finds her new husband on the floor with my eyes rolled in the back of my head, and I'm shaking a bit. Not what she expected, right? All right, and I come to, she like touches me, and I come to, and I say, please don't take me to a Mexican hospital. This is not how we expected our marriage to begin, okay? Today we're talking about misplaced expectations. Misplaced expectations. This is actually what we talked about last Sunday. So if you were here last Sunday, you remember this. Last Sunday was Palm Sunday, and and, and we celebrate on Palm Sunday Jesus coming into the city of Jerusalem, riding on the back of a donkey's colt, and and Jesus is correctly identified as the Messiah by the Jews on Palm Sunday. They are shouting Hosanna in the highest, and they're waving palm branches and laying their coats out, and it's a miraculous, it's a triumphal entry, but... The, the people were also confused. They were also confused. They got it right and they got it wrong, right? They got it right and they said, this guy's the king. This guy's the Messiah. But they got it wrong in that they thought he was going to function as a Messiah who would just show up and wreck the Roman Empire. And now hear me, he would. He would do that, just not in the way they thought that he would. No one was expecting a Messiah who would come and die. Nobody was expecting this. All right, kings don't die on crosses. Kings send people to crosses. And so this Messiah, when he died on a cross a few days later, everybody thought it was over. They thought the story was over, but again, they had misplaced expectations. So here's what I want to do this morning. I'll just get it out of the way, tell you my whole outline, okay? I want us to walk through the account of the resurrection, In the gospel of Matthew, we'll all be there in our text, but I'm also going to weave in the other gospel accounts just so we can get a really clear and complete picture about the resurrection. And then I want to show that there were misplaced expectations. While there were misplaced expectations about Jesus leading up to his death on the cross, they were also as just as many misplaced expectations about what would happen after Jesus died, after the cross. And those expectations would be shattered as well. So nobody now just now hear me on this. Nobody expected Jesus to come back from the dead. Ain't nobody planning this out. Nobody thought that a resurrection was going to happen, but Jesus shattered their expectations just like he will shatter ours. Okay, so I'm calling today's sermon Misplaced Expectations Part 2. Creative, I know, all right? Part 
two. Uh, and just for my type A Enneagram ones in the room, all right, let me just get my, all my cards on the table. If you would say that you don't believe in this whole Jesus rose from the dead thing, all right, I want to give you the opportunity to join us in this study today, to study the text today. And then I'm also going to give you the opportunity to, at the end of this conversation, to believe in Jesus, to put your faith and trust in Jesus. Or if you have not, uh, if you, if you, maybe you've been wandering from Jesus for a long time, I'm just going to ask you and, and invite you to kind of come back to him today. Uh, and I'm also going to give you the opportunity if you want to, to be baptized today. Okay. So it's, listen, it's Easter. You came to church. What do you expect? Okay. <laughs> but just so that there's no bait and switch, that's my plan. All right. All right. Let's dig into this. Matthew chapter 28, Matthew 28, verse one. Now, after the Sabbath, Toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Now, hold on a second. Let's pause there. Jesus died on a Friday. We call it Good Friday. It wasn't so good for him, really good for all of us. Uh, on Friday, he died. And then comes the Jewish observance of the Sabbath. So from Friday sundown until Saturday sundown, uh, the Jews are not working. They're not, they're, they are resting. They're sitting uh, in essentially the darkness of what happened on Friday. But now it's dawn on the first day of the week. So this is Sunday. Sunday morning. And it says, the text says that two Marys showed up to the tomb. One is Mary, the mother of Jesus. It says the other Mary, there's a lot of, you know, debate about how many women were at the tomb. Some people say up to six. I'm not sure, so sure about this. I think there's two Marys. Somebody says there's a third. I'd, again, commentators can't ever agree on anything. Okay. These are two Marys. Okay. One of them I think is Mary, the mother of Jesus. Okay. Cause Mark's gospel points her out explicitly. And now the other is Mary Magdalene, Mary Magdalene. So these two Marys show up to the tomb and in the gospel of Mark and in Luke, it says that the women were showing up to the tomb, bringing spices, spices. Okay. And don't think like a good dry rub on a pork butt on your, on your Traeger, right? Not that type of spice. They are bringing burial spices, burial spices, because when a person died in this time, they would wrap the body in about a hundred to 150 pounds of burial spices and linen cloth, essentially to preserve that body for, um, for burial. Now, uh, these two Marys are showing up and they are bringing these spices, probably pounds, dozens and dozens of pounds of spice. So these gals, you just picture, they must've been yoked, right? It's like ancient Israel CrossFit or something. These girls knew how to do because they're bringing all this spice. But I just want you to hear here. The ladies are expecting to embalm a course, a corpse. That's their expectation, but it was misplaced. It was misplaced. Look at verse two. And behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified he is not here for he has risen. And then he said, come see the place where he lay. Okay, let's pause here. So there's this earthquake. 
It's only mentioned in Matthew's gospel, this earthquake, by the way. But this earthquake shows up and an angel shows up and he rolls back the stone covering the mouth of the tomb. And in response, the Roman soldiers who were set there to guard the tomb freak out and pass out. And this is, this is not something we should miss here, okay? The very ones assigned to guard the dead end up themselves appearing dead. They, 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 they fall over like dead men. And then the women, they must have been terrified as well. Mary and Mary must have been freaking out as well. But the angel says to them, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. And then he says the line, the famous resurrection line that we all love. He is not here for he has risen. Now, remember, we have the benefit of hindsight. We have the benefit of 2000 years of knowing this story, but they were not expecting this. Okay, because they were expecting a corpse. Now, Luke says something really interesting in his gospel. So I'm going to interject his words. I'll put these up on the screen so you don't have to turn there. But here's what Luke says. As the angel says, he is not here, but has risen. Here's what he goes on to say. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? They remembered his words. So you see, Jesus had told them all these things. He told them that all of this stuff was going to happen, but they hadn't remembered. That's what the text says. They had misplaced expectations leading up to his death, and they also had misplaced expectations after his death. So nobody expected Jesus to be resurrected. We have to get out of our minds some sort of character that these were like starry-eyed, gullible, miracle seeking people who showed up with like lawn chairs and poster board signs and like paraphernalia for Jesus to sign. That's not what's going on here. Okay, nobody thought that this was going to happen. They hadn't forgotten it. Now back to Matthew chapter 28, look at verse seven. Then go, this is the angel, then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and they ran to tell his disciples. Okay. Now, um, he tells the, the, the women to go to the disciples, and this is most certainly one of the proofs for the historicity of the resurrection. This is a very believable story in our Bibles because no one would ever make up a story at this time where the official witnesses, the first official witnesses were women. This is just not how it would have been played out because women at this time are not allowed to be witnesses in any sort of legal sense. All right, so we actually have historical evidence of this. Let me just help you with this, okay? There's a guy named Josephus who is a Jewish historian from the first century, and, and he tells us that even witnesses of multiple women were not acceptable, and these are his words, quote, because of their levity and hysteria. So that's what the Jewish historian Josephus said as to why women were not allowed to testify, and then the Romans weren't any more progressive than the Jews at this point. Okay, don't get that in your head because Celsus, a philosopher and early Roman critic of Christianity. So this guy's not a Christian. He's a critic of Christianity. He mocked the idea of the resurrection because of these women. 
He openly mocked it because these women are the witnesses of the resurrection saying, and again, these are his words, not mine. All right. These are his words. His words were, they were hysterical females deluded by sorcery. You know what the world wasn't expecting? Women to have such a prominent role in the movement of Jesus. Ain't nobody expecting that. But it wasn't just the Marys at this point who have these misplaced expectations, okay? I'm going to pull in Luke's gospel here again because here's what happens when they get to the disciples. I'll put this up on the screen. The women get there and they say, these words seemed to them, the disciples, an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Okay, so not even the apostles, the disciples, the 12 or 11 at this point, believe the testimony of these women. Nobody expected this. Peter didn't expect this. John didn't expect this. James didn't expect, nobody expected this. All right? But then John, in his gospel, gives us a really super in-depth account of how the first disciples, the first men, run to the tomb after this news from Mary. So I want to go there because it's really interesting. I'll put this up there as well. So Mary ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciples, and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. Now, real quick, as we get into this, if you're newer to church uh, and the Bible, there's some stuff you need to know real quick. There are 12 disciples, Okay. 12 disciples who follow Jesus through his life. One of them was named John. Okay, this is John's gospel reading, or what we are reading. John had a nickname, and his nickname was the one whom Jesus loved. Okay, that's John's nickname. The interesting thing is this. The only place that John is called that is, you guessed it, <laughs> the gospel of John. All right? <laughs> You want to make a want to make a wager on who wrote the gospel of John? <laughs> it could be called the gospel of the one whom Jesus loved. OK, that's all I'm saying. But but so take that however you want. That's who's writing this. He's the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved. So so Simon Peter, she runs to Simon Peter, the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. So in this account, we've got John, the other disciple, right? The one who Jesus loves, the writer of this gospel, and he wants you to know this. <laughs> not only, not only does, does Jesus like him a little bit better than everybody else, but... That in a foot race, <laughs> John can outrun Peter, okay? It's in the book, yo, all right? I mean, leave it to a guy to boast about a physical and athletic prowess in the middle of bringing the news about the resurrected, begotten Son of God, all right? This is the Bible, verse 5. Verse 5. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. So he's a little scared. Okay, just so you know, John didn't mention that part as much. But verse six, then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. So Peter's a little bit more bold. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus head, now lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Now, 
these details are really important that John lays out here because uh, there's all this linen there. Remember the 150 pounds of linen and spices that you would bury a body in? Well, it's now uh, without body, okay? It's empty, and lying next to that linen is the face cloth, the cloth that would go over the face of the corpse, and now it mentions that, that it was folded up, that the face cloth is folded. Now, here's why this detail is important. This is evidence that the body wasn't stolen. Okay, this is the prominent, the prominent theory in history as to what happened to the body of Jesus of Nazareth is that it was stolen. Something happened to the body. Everybody agrees, or every credible theologian and historian agrees to this. But, but the prominent theory is that the body was stolen. But I don't know if you've ever stolen anything. God bless your ministry if you haven't, okay? Uh, but your pastor has uh, been arrested for stealing, so uh, ladies, watch your purses, okay? <laughs> Just so you know, welcome to Fathom. <laughs> but typically when you steal something, you're in a hurry, right? You're in a scenario where you don't stop to like tidy up the crime scene so it's nice and clean for the cops, right? Now you just scoop and score, right? That's just what you do. You scoop it and you get out. So, so if Jesus in this resurrection had, had, had been stolen, they wouldn't have taken the time to fold the face cloth. They never would have done this. And it's because they didn't steal his body. He wasn't in a hurry, all right? He just gets up, folds his laundry, and gets out of there. Verse eight, verse eight, John. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, okay? Did you see that? One more time. John just, the greatest moment in human history, right? Is happening right here. And John's like, yeah, he rose from the grave, but I'm really fast, right? There's no miss that, all right? The other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and he believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Verse 10, then the disciples went back to their homes. Okay, here's why I point out the whole running thing. Besides it being really funny, okay? Here's what I know. We all bring ourselves to the resurrection. We all bring ourselves to the empty tomb. We all bring our insecurities and our pride. We bring our arrogance and our doubts. We bring our anxiety. We even bring our expectations to the resurrection of Jesus. We bring all that stuff. And the good news is that he meets us right where we are. Even when we can't get ourselves out of the way of the good news of the gospel. So once again, the text says that the disciples don't understand Peter and John see the folded face cloth. They see the linens. They walk into the empty tomb, but they don't understand. They did not expect this. They had misplaced expectations about this whole thing. Now, let's get back to Matthew's gospel, okay? Let's finish this text up in Matthew chapter 28. We're gonna look at verses nine and 10. And behold, Jesus met them. This is the women, okay? Back to Mary and Mary. Jesus met them and he said, greetings, and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. So, 
So Jesus shows back up to these women, okay? And they take his feet and they worship him. And Jesus says, hey, don't hold on to me. I'm going to meet you in Galilee. Go get the rest of the guys. We're going to meet in Galilee. But once again, John does a really interesting thing. John's gospel adds this unique and kind of super sweet story at the end here about Mary Magdalene. So I want us to look at this real quick before we end our time. John 20, 14 says, having said this, Mary turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know it was Jesus. So apparently resurrected Jesus can camo up and and mess with people. That's one of his skills. It's like a resurrection superpower, okay? She did not know it was Jesus, verse 15. So Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I'll take him away. See, see, Mary sees Jesus standing there. She doesn't recognize him. She thinks he's the gardener. Now, I've been to the tomb in Israel where we think Jesus was buried. And there's all these tombs cut in the side of a cliff. But outside of that is this lush, beautiful garden. So she thinks this is the gardener outside the tomb. Verse 16. And then Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. He sees her and he calls her name, Mary. And she recognizes him. It's not the gardener. It wasn't until Jesus calls her by name that she recognizes him. Her life has fallen apart at this moment. Like, I think we have to get ourselves into the narrative. She had watched her savior die on a cross. Every expectation that she had for him shattered and broken only three days earlier. Her life has fallen apart. Her expectations are shattered. And now in this garden, he calls her by name and says, Mary. And she sees him for who he is. This is the story of the resurrection. This is what we celebrate today and every Easter. But I hope you saw as we looked through the text, not just Matthew, but all the gospel accounts, that every single person in this story had misplaced expectations about what Jesus was up to, about what's supposed to happen. See, here's some of the misplaced expectations. They expected death but they found life. Every single one of them went there expecting death. The Romans thought he was dead. The Jews thought he was dead. The disciples thought he was dead. The soldiers at the tomb thought he was dead. Even Mary, his mother, and Mary Magdalene, they thought he was dead. They brought the spices to finish the burial. And the reason they thought he was dead was because he was dead. They expected death, but then in the resurrection, they found life. They found life. Second, they they expected mourning, but they left rejoicing. They went to the tomb to mourn. You don't go to a grave to have a party. You go to lay flowers. You go to mourn the loss. As we've read the last couple of weeks of Jesus' life, Peter ends up weeping when he denies Christ 
on the night of his trial. Mary, the mother of Jesus, is weeping at the cross as she sees and witnesses her son, her eldest son, die. Mary Magdalene is weeping in the garden when a gardener first approaches her and says, why are you weeping, woman? See, they all expected mourning, but in the resurrection, they left rejoicing. With joy, they ran from the tomb. And then finally, thirdly, they expected a grave, but they found a garden. Expected a grave, but they found a garden. His body was laid. The linen was wrapped, right? The spices prepared. The entrance was sealed. The guards had been set. But what they didn't expect or anticipate was an earthquake. A seismic shock that would roll the stone away and cause panic in the guards and bring the dead back to life. They expected a grave, but in the resurrection, they found a living man in a garden. Misplaced expectations. And we have them too. We have them as well. We have our misplaced expectations about Jesus. See, many of us, we expect condemnation from Jesus. We expect condemnation. Romans 3.23 says that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so for many who, when they think of Jesus, the expectation is that he would be one who throws some condemnation our way. You did what? You said what? You did that thing again? You should know better by now. God must be thoroughly disappointed in you. He must be finished with you. You've gone too far for him. But I think the fact that that one of the two Marys who approaches the tomb is Mary Magdalene, and she is the first one to witness the resurrected Jesus, should give us hope. See, when, when, when Mary first met Jesus in the Gospels, the Gospel of Luke tells us that she was possessed by seven demons, that Mary had seven demons, not one, not two, seven, okay? And if you know Bible stuff, seven is a number of completion in the Bible. And so I don't think Mark is literally saying there were seven, not eight, not six, but seven. I don't think Mark is saying that. I think Mark is saying that this woman was completely possessed by these demons. Her life at that point would have been a complete mess. See, with seven demons, she would have looked like she was out of her mind, she, would, she was grossly immoral, is what the text tells us. Church history calls her a prostitute, tells us that she was a prostitute in those years. Everyone would have thought of her as beyond redemption. But then in Luke chapter 8, we find Mary falling at Jesus' feet and receiving healing, and she becomes his follower, his disciple, and now she's the first person that he appears to. And Jesus says her name, Mary. And she recognizes him. What a beautiful moment. Calling her name woke her up to the reality of who he was. Her expectations shattered in the most glorious way possible. And I think he's doing that with some of you. He might even be calling your name right now, right today. 
See, we expect condemnation, but we find salvation. We find salvation. The resurrection is the proof that God has accepted Jesus' death as the payment for our sin. In John chapter 3, everyone knows John 3, 16, because they hold it up in end zones at football games, right? But John 3, 17 is equally, if not more so helpful, because in John 3, 17, after for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Then he says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. We expect condemnation, but in the resurrection, we find salvation. And, and then we too, we expect death, right? If there's one thing that the last two years have crystallized for us, it's that death can come quickly and swiftly for anyone, even with COVID rates on the drop and whether or not you're vaccinated or you believe in that or it's a conspiracy, I don't really care, okay? The reality is the mortality rate is still about the same. It's been hovering at about 100% forever. Pre-COVID, post-COVID, vaccinated or not, hear me, you're going to die. Happy Easter. <laughs> But what we see here is that the resurrection shows that Jesus is the one who conquered death. That he conquered death. And it's why the Apostle Paul can say in 1 Corinthians 15 that when Jesus died, he took the sting out of death. Now, the sting of death is that death is the end that ushers us into eternal judgment, judgment for good or judgment for bad. But when Jesus died, he took that sting into himself so that there is no there's no judgment left in death for those who believe in him. There's nothing to fear in death if we're in him. So I heard another pastor use this illustration. I, I, I thought this was helpful. You know a honeybee, because it's now warm enough that bees are starting to show up again. My daughter's terrified. But you know that honeybees can't sting you twice. You've heard this? Wasps can, all right? So don't mess with them. But, but honeybees, they cannot sting you more than once because when a honeybee pushes its stinger out into you, it actually ruptures the bee's digestive tract, which leads to its quick and certain death. And that's an illustration for us that in the cross, death put his stinger into Jesus. But when it did, the internal workings of death itself are ruptured. And on that day, Jesus died, yes, but death died. And the resurrection is how we know that's true. See, we expect death, but in the resurrection, we find life. Real life, meaningful life, authentic life, purposeful life, holy life. John says life to the full. And then finally, we too expect a grave. But in the resurrection, we find a gardener in a garden. He knows our name. He calls out to us personally. See, they're, they're not these ex misplaced expectations of like a botched honeymoon. These are ex 
expectations that are so misplaced, but then in the resurrection, they are so shattered in the most extraordinary way imaginable. Our hearts were broken on Friday, but we are so wonderfully surprised on Sunday. And today, Jesus is making each one of us this offer. Trade your misplaced expectations for a savior. For one who knows your name, who offers salvation and who gives life to the full. And so today, man, I just wonder how many of you feel like, I'm just done. My gosh, after the last couple of years, you're just so tired and overwhelmed just ready for the hard of life to be over. You just don't know how much longer you could just keep doing the same old thing. Or maybe you're here and man, like I've been watching you for a couple of weeks and I can just see it. There are these things that are just starting to bubble up in you and starting to come alive and you're, you're spiritually curious and maybe you started asking questions and maybe even started coming to church and you've heard, heard the, the Bible preached and you're just starting to feel something happening. And I just want to lay this before you today. Like maybe today could be the day that you just decide. Today could be the day that you just say, I'm in. I'm done. I've tried life my way, but today I want to let all that die. I want to die to myself. I want salvation. I want life. I want the garden, not the grave. See, maybe you've never believed in any of this stuff before. Maybe you used to believe, but man, it's just been years of, of wandering. And listen, I know it's Easter and it's kind of kitschy or whatever, to, but, but I just want to invite you to to actually say yes to Jesus, to become a Christian. I want to invite you to die to yourself. I want to invite you to believe in Jesus as Savior and to submit your life to him. It's, it's a decision that each one has to make. And so if you're making that decision, I just want to call you to it. Make that decision. Lay your yes down today. If, if you feel like you, you want to make that decision today, you, we'll, we'll be willing to pray with you willing to talk with you. You got questions. We'll walk with you. But if you are making that decision today, then, then one of the ways that we show that is that we publicly make that declaration, not just privately, like in your little seat right now, but you publicly make that declaration in baptism. And so if you've never really understood what baptism is, it's, it's this, it's, it's like my wedding ring. Baptism is like a wedding ring. Okay. When I put on this wedding ring, it's a public display that shows that I'm taken. It's a public display as a reminder to me and to everyone else that, that listen, I belong to Marcy. I'm off, I'm off the market, ladies. <laughs> and that's what baptism is. That's what baptism is. It's a public declaration, celebration of dying with Christ and being raised to walk in the newness of life. It's saying, I belong to Jesus. I'm taken. I'm off the market spiritually. And so, yes, we have baptism scheduled today. We're going to baptize today, no matter what. But if you're like, Hey, I'm, I feel like I'm saying yes to Christ today, then, or maybe you've just never gone public with it. It's always been just a private thing for you. And you've never been baptized, man. I just want to invite you to be baptized today. We'll roll up our sleeves and get some people wet. Be excellent. 
You're like, well, I'm wearing my Easter best. I've got my, my slacks on today. We got you. Why are you laughing at slacks, Kaylee? <laughs> you knew I was going to call you out on Easter. Yeah. I got you covered, okay? I sent Marcy to Target this week. We bought a bunch of gym shorts and dark t-shirts. And you know what? We'll let you borrow them. You can get changed and get dunked. I'd love to do it, man. Okay, so if this is you, if you're ready to go public with your faith in baptism, man, I'll be in the back of the room. We'll have prayer partners in the back of the room. We'll have other elders in the back of the room. Man, just come and talk to us as we sing. We're going to sing a couple songs. Just come back there and just say, I, I, I prayed to receive Christ. I just received Christ. I want to be baptized today. We'd love to do that. Let him shatter your expectations. Trade your condemnation for salvation. Trade your mourning for rejoicing. Trade your grave for a garden. He is not here. For he has risen. Let's pray together. Father, we bless your name today on this Resurrection Sunday. We, we praise your name that, that the good news of the gospel is that, that there was one who was sent, your son, your only son, and he lived the perfect life and he died a death in our place. A death that no one was expecting, but only to be raised from the grave by the power of the Holy Spirit on the third day. Again, blowing everyone's expectations. And that all who follow after him, profess faith in him, make him Lord and Savior of their lives. will no longer feel the sting of death, but will be ushered into eternity with you. Thank you for that good news. And I pray for men and women here who have felt this, this draw, this, this calling, this wooing, this whispering from your spirit today, and they want to put their faith in you. And I just pray, Lord, as, as they're sitting here right now, that they would pray, Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my life. I need you as my savior. I want to submit my life to you. I give you my life. Lord, what a glorious Easter it is. Thank you for the women, Mary and Mary. Thank you for the men, Peter and John. Thank you for the angel. But Lord, thank you for raising your son from the grave. We celebrate him today and we pray these things in his name and in the power of the spirit. Amen.